Chapter Eight of Aesthetic as Science of Expression and General Linguistic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Reichert. Aesthetic as Science of Expression and General Linguistic by Benedetto Croce. Translated by Douglas Ainsley. 1865 to 1948 chapter 8 exclusion of other spiritual forms the system of the spirit in this summary sketch that we have given of the entire philosophy of the spirit in its fundamental moments the spirit is conceived as consisting of four moments or grades disposed in such a way that the theoretical activity is to the practical as is the first theoretical grade to the second theoretical, and the first practical grade to the second practical. The four moments imply one another regressively by their concretion. The concept cannot be without expression, the useful without the one and the other, and morality without the three preceding grades. If the aesthetic fact is alone independent and the others more or less dependent, then the logical is the least so, and the moral will the most. Moral intention operates on given theoretic bases, which cannot be dispensed with, save by that absurd practice, the Jesuitical direction of intention. Here people pretend to themselves not to know what at bottom they know perfectly well. THE FORMS OF GENIUS If the forms of human activity are four, for also are the forms of genius. Geniuses in art, in science, in moral will or heroes, have certainly always been recognized, but the genius of pure economic has met with opposition. It is not altogether without reason that a category of bad geniuses, or of geniuses of evil, has been created. The practical, merely economic genius, which is not directed to a rational end, cannot but excite an admiration mingled with alarm. It would be a mere question of words, were we to discuss whether the word genius should be applied only to creators of aesthetic expression, or also to men of scientific research and of action. To observe, on the other hand, that genius, of whatever kind it be, is always a quantitative conception and an empirical distinction, would be to repeat what has already been explained as regards artistic genius. Non-existence of a fifth form of activity, law, sociality. A fifth form of spiritual activity does not exist. It would be easy to demonstrate how all the other forms either do not possess the character of activity, or are verbal variants of the activities already examined, or are complex and derived facts, in which the various activities are mingled, or are filled with special contents and contingent data. The judicial fact, for example, considered as what is called objective law, is derived both from the economic and from the logical activities. Law is a rule, a formula, whether oral or written matters little here, in which is contained an economic relation willed by an individual or by a collectivity. This economic side at once unites it with and distinguishes it from moral activity. Take another example. Sociology, 
among the many meanings the word bears in our times, is sometimes conceived as the study of an original element which is called sociality. Now what is it that distinguishes sociality, or the relations which are developed in a meeting of men, not of subhuman beings, if it be not just the various spiritual activities which exist among the former and which are supposed not to exist, or to exist only in a rudimentary degree, among the latter? Sociality, then, far from being an original, simple, irreducible conception, is very complex and complicated. This could be proved by the impossibility generally recognized of enunciating a single sociological law properly so called. Those that are improperly called by that name are revealed as either empirical historical observations or spiritual laws, that is to say judgments, into which are translated the conceptions of the spiritual activities, when they are not simply empty and indeterminate generalizations, like the so-called law of evolution. Sometimes, too, nothing more is understood by sociality than social rule, and so law, and thus sociology is confounded with the science or theory of law itself. Law, sociality, and like terms are to be dealt with in a mode analogous to that employed by us in the consideration of historicity and technique. Religiosity it may seem fitting to form a different judgment as to religious activity, but religion is nothing but knowledge, and does not differ from its other forms and subforms. For it is in truth, and in turn either the expression of practical and ideal aspirations, religious ideals, or historical narrative, legend, or conceptual science, dogma. It can therefore be maintained with equal truth both that religion is destroyed by the progress of human knowledge, and that it is always present there. Their religion was the whole patrimony of knowledge of primitive peoples. Our patrimony of knowledge is our religion. The content has been changed, bettered, refined, and it will change and become better and more refined in the future also. But its function is always the same. We do not know what use could be made of religion by those who wish to preserve it side by side with the theoretic activity of man, with his art, with his criticism, and with his philosophy. It is impossible to preserve an imperfect and inferior kind of knowledge like religion side by side with what has surpassed and disproved it. Catholicism, which is always coherent, will not tolerate a science, a history, an ethic, in contradiction to its views and doctrines. The rationalists are less coherent. They are disposed to allow a little space in their souls for a religion which is in contradiction with their whole theoretic world. These affectations and religious susceptibilities of the rationalists of our times have their origin in the superstitious cult of the natural sciences. These, as we know, and as is confessed by the mouth of their chief adepts, are all surrounded by limits. Science having been wrongly identified with the so-called natural sciences, it could be foreseen that the remainder would be asked of religion, that remainder with which the human spirit cannot dispense. We are therefore indebted to materialism, to positivism, to naturalism for this unhealthy and often disingenuous reflowering of religious exaltation. Such things are the business of the hospital, when they are not the business of the politician. 
Metaphysic Philosophy withdraws from religion all reason for existing, because it substitutes itself for religion. As the science of the spirit, it looks upon religion as a phenomenon, a transitory historical fact, a psychic condition that can be surpassed. Philosophy shares the domain of knowledge with the natural disciplines, with history and with art. It leaves to the first narration, measurement, and classification, to the second the chronicling of what has individually happened, to the third the individually possible. There is nothing left to share with religion. For the same reason, philosophy, as the science of the spirit, cannot be philosophy of the intuitive datum, nor, as has been seen, philosophy of history, nor philosophy of nature, and therefore there cannot be a philosophic science of what is not form and universal, but material and particular. This amounts to affirming the impossibility of metaphysic. The method, or logic, of history followed the philosophy of history, a noseology of the conceptions which are employed in the natural sciences succeeded natural philosophy. What philosophy can study of the one is its mode of construction, intuition, perception, document, probability, etc. Of the others, she can study the forms of the conceptions which appear in them, space, time, motion, number, types, classes, etc. Philosophy, which should become metaphysical in the sense above described, would, on the other hand, claim to compete with narrative history and with the natural sciences, which in their field are alone legitimate and effective. Such a competition becomes in fact a labour spoiling labour. We are anti-metaphysical in this sense, while yet declaring ourselves ultra-metaphysical, if by that word it be desired to claim and to affirm the function of philosophy as the auto-consciousness of the spirit as opposed to the merely empirical and classificatory function of the natural sciences. Mental Imagination and the Intuitive Intellect In order to maintain itself side by side with the sciences of the spirit, metaphysic has been obliged to assert the existence of a specific spiritual activity of which it would be the product. This activity, which in antiquity was called mental or superior imagination, and in modern times more often intuitive intellect or intellectual intuition, would unite in an altogether special form the characters of imagination and of intellect. It would provide the method of passing by deduction or dialectically from the infinite to the finite, from form to matter, from the concept to the intuition, from science to history, operating by a method which should be at once unity and compenetration of the universal and the particular, of the abstract and the concrete, of intuition and of intellect. A faculty marvellous indeed and delightful to possess, but we who do not possess it have no means of proving its existence. Mystical Aesthetic Intellectual Intuition has sometimes been considered as the true aesthetic activity. At others, a not less marvellous aesthetic activity has been placed beside, below, or above it, a faculty altogether different from simple intuition. The glories of this faculty have been sung, 
and to it have been attributed the fact of art, or at the least certain groups of artistic production, arbitrarily chosen. Art, religion, and philosophy have seemed in turn one only, or three distinct faculties of the spirit, now one, now another of these being superior in the dignity assigned to each. It is impossible to enumerate all the various attitudes assumed by this conception of aesthetic, which we will call mystical. We are here in the kingdom, not of the science of imagination, but of imagination itself, which creates its world with the varying elements of the impressions and of the feelings. Let it suffice to mention that this mysterious faculty has been conceived, now as practical, now as a mean between the theoretic and the practical, at others again as a theoretic grade together with philosophy and religion. Mortality and Immortality of Art The immortality of art has sometimes been deduced from this last conception as belonging with its sisters to the sphere of absolute spirit. At other times, on the other hand, when religion has been looked upon as mortal and as dissolved in philosophy, then the mortality, even the actual death, or at least the agony of art, has been proclaimed. These questions have no meaning for us, because, seeing that the function of art is a necessary grade of the spirit, to ask if art can be eliminated is the same thing as asking if sensation or intelligence can be eliminated. But metaphysic, in the above sense, since it transplants itself to an arbitrary world, is not to be criticized in detail any more than one can criticize the botany of the Garden of Alcina, or the navigation of the voyage of Astolfo. Criticism can only be made by refusing to join the game, that is to say, by rejecting the very possibility of metaphysic, always in the sense above indicated. As we do not admit intellectual intuition in philosophy, we can also not admit its shadow or equivalent, aesthetic intellectual intuition, or any other mode by which this imaginary function may be called and represented. We repeat again that we do not know of a fifth grade beyond the four grades of spirit which consciousness reveals to us. End of chapter 8 Recording by Lisa Reichert